Welcome to Love, Money, and the Law, where you'll find conversations about everything relationships, marriage, and divorce. I'm your host, Cindy Hyde, and my goal is to bring you new insights and points of view through legal, psychological, financial, and spiritual perspectives. Be sure to check out lovemoneylaw.com for live seminars, free videos, and products related to many of the topics we'll discuss. I'm glad you're here. Welcome to Love, Money, and the Law. I'm your host, Cindy Hyde, and this is part of a series called The ABCs of Divorce. The subject is custody. My guest today is Amanda Tucker. She's a dedicated family law attorney whose niche in family law is child-related issues, especially those that are high conflict or more unusual in nature. She believes in helping families move forward without charging them a fortune or creating years of litigation. Amanda has represented clients in the full spectrum of child-related and property matters. And I'm so happy to have this conversation today because so many of us have children sometimes when we get a divorce. And the first question is always about custody. Well, I want custody, or don't let him get custody, or don't let her get custody. I want custody of my children. So tell us first, please, what does that term really mean? I mean, what does custody really mean? And, and what does a divorce look like uh, when you have children and custody issue is involved? It's a great question. So custody, I think, is, I kind of call it a layman's term because I feel like when clients come to me, they're making custody everything. Mm -hmm. And they also use full custody a lot, which, as you know, isn't really a thing. Mm -hmm. So I let them know that what they're referring to as custody is probably part conservatorship and part possession and access, and of course the rights and duties that go along with conservatorship. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a two-part when um, I explain it to them. And conservatorship is you know usually either a joint managing conservatorship where the parents are equally sharing in rights and duties mm -hmm. um, and typically possession and access or a sole managing conservatorship where one parent has all or the majority of the rights and duties and usually more of the possession and access um, which is mm -hmm. a much more rare situation um, and then the possession and access portion is how much time parents are spending with their children mm -hmm. and what their schedule looks like day to day. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the differences between uh, sharing custody, joint custody, or this sole custody? Because that's another issue that comes up often, especially when there's a lot of anger involved. I want sole custody and of course. he or she's not going to see my children. And then it becomes my children and not our children. Yeah. So uh, it's, you know, as you mentioned, there has to be some sort of extreme circumstances, I believe, you know, for this sole custody issue. I agree. I think that probably a very small percentage of um, parties that are divorcing end up in a sole managing mm -hmm. and um, possessory conservatorship situation. Um, usually, if that happens, in my experience, it's been either drug-related, abuse-related, um, if maybe one parent's really abandoned the family, um, if one parent lives really far away and is not instrumental in making any kind of decisions regarding the children, mm -hmm. um, those are the type of situations, or if a parent's incarcerated, where a sole managing conservatorship might mm -hmm. be applicable mm -hmm. um, because one parent's either not capable or not making good decisions that are in the children's best interest. Mm -hmm. And so that parent really kind of has that right removed from them um, mm -hmm. in terms of you know education, medical, mental health, things that affect the kids 
day-to-day um, -day operations or big decisions in their lives. Mm -hmm. That's an excellent summary of the things, some of the things that are considered, and I think it's also important to note that uh, a child's best interest is the standard perspective from which a court uh, views most any circumstances, and I think it's fair to say that's true across the country, uh, that whatever is in the best interest of the child, that's what the case is really about. And of course you have your, your, your financial issues and the property issues of the parties, but in a case with divorce and there's children involved, uh, that's, the first, that's the first hurdle you get through and then you fill in the blanks with respect to the parties and how they've um, uh, you know, cared for the children and, and, right. and, and what they're doing in the process too. So. Correct. So what, do you, what factors play into the decision about who gets custody in your opinion? Now you mentioned, for you clicked off a, an excellent list, but I mean, can you give us some examples or you know, what are some key elements that someone might um, take into consideration if you're getting a divorce and you think, okay, you know, how, how might this play out? Sure, I think that a lot of times it's what's gone on with the parties prior to the divorce, the history of all the relationships in the family. Mm -hmm. You know, if moms predominantly stayed home, I think there's um, kind of an indication that she's taken care of probably the kids' medical appointments, maybe been involved in the school more than dad, things that courts are definitely gonna consider because um, that parent might have more involvement or be more aware of what's going on in the kids' day-to-day -day routines. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, I think the court wa really wants to equalize time where they can. And so, you know, it's really, who's able to make sure the kids' best interests are served, you know? Are these healthy environments for the kids? Are mom and dad, um, you know, are they making the kids a priority? If maybe one parent's moved on and is starting a new relationship, is that relationship mm -hmm. gonna impact the kids' home environment? You know, are there other siblings that are potentially involved? Um, and, you know, how are the kids doing in school when they're with each parent? Maybe if one parent's neglecting homework or not giving time to academics, that could definitely be reflected in their grades and that mm -hmm. could eventually be reflected in how much um, maybe weekend or weekday access the, mm -hmm. the parent might have. Mm -hmm. Um, what are the kids' extracurricular routines? You know, is the parent available to take them and make sure that those are maintained? I think really what courts are looking at is, are the parents gonna be able to maintain consistency and stability for these kids post-divorce? And mm -hmm. what's the best arrangement for that to happen? So do you feel like dads get a fair shot at custody these days as opposed to I think in historically moms had sort of a, a biased uh, position uh, in the past but now you know there's so many working moms and the situations are the, a lot more equal with respect to time that they can give to their children I mean what do you think do you think there's been a change in sort of the attitude in, in the court system with respect to who gets custody technically or? well I think it's a great question and I get asked that mainly by the male clients that I represent. Moms do ask me that as well, but obviously it's a bigger concern for dads these days. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of hesitation, I believe, when couples are um, divorcing or maybe it's a modification situation where dads feel a little insecure that you know, going into this, they, uh, mom has a leg up. I don't think that that's as true anymore. I do think historically mothers have had advantage in the court situation because they were 
kind of seen more primarily as the caretaker, the nurturer, maybe didn't work as much as the dads did. Now I think most couples uh, are working more, so both mm -hmm. parents have work schedules that they have to balance with the kids' school schedules and extracurriculars. I don't think there's as many differences between moms and dads now going into court. Um, and when there is a difference, I think that typically when a divorce is happening, if the mother stayed home, that's probably coming to an end and she's probably going to have to start generating you know, her own income, which is going to impact her flexibility and availability. So I think that it's pretty evenly spread these days. I don't think mm -hmm. there's a major disadvantage for dads, if any. Um, maybe the only thing being that if historically the mother has stayed home with the kids, that might initially give her some advantage um, mm -hmm. going into the divorce or a modification situation. What about the types of visitation and access orders? Now we have a standard possession order in Texas, and I'm sure there are other, you know, across the country, the statutes will also offer some guidelines with respect to what what the courts can expect or sure. what you know is pretty standard across the board but um, sometimes clients want to create their own visitation schedule maybe a week on a week off or or more than that or you know something creative on their own do you have any comments about how that works or doesn't work or what your experience has been? Yeah, no, I have a lot of experience. I actually have personal experience. I'm divorced. I have a very custom modified order um, with my daughter's uh, father and it works great for us. And mm -hmm. I let my clients know that there's always the option to get creative. Mm -hmm. And you know, most cases are probably gonna settle in mediation versus being tried. And that really gives mm -hmm. parties the opportunity between the two of them to figure out what works best right. for their kids and their family. And I always think that that's going to be a better solution than just a default provisions mm -hmm. from the Texas Family Code, which are fine, but usually they're not as custom as most families need. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that a lot of parents these days are trying to get to a 50-50 spread. Um, it's kind of what I'd call maybe the trend right now in family law as more people are seeing how instrumental and important the father's relationship is with kids, mm -hmm. um, that parent, the kids need both parents. And really equal time, I always think, is the best way, mm -hmm. is, is where you should start. And if there's a reason why parents can't have equal time, then we can explore that and see what that looks like. But I don't see any reason usually out of the chute why both parents shouldn't mm -hmm. share these children and be involved to the same extent. Mm -hmm. And you can do that with a week on, week off, what we call a two-two-three, where you're splitting up the week into segments, um, you know, alternating weekends. They can either be set schedules or they can just be rotating schedules, depending on what works best for the families. Now, how does that play into child support issues or uh, health insurance and those sorts of obligations that one party is going to have, typically uh, going to pay, you know, to the other with respect to raising a child? Sure. Well, it's a good question, and that usually is a big consideration when we start getting to um, a 50-50 discussion because, mm -hmm. you know, the courts want, under our public policies in Texas, for somebody to be financially responsible mm -hmm. for these children. And so a lot of times when I'm doing a 50-50, either we do an offset, which is we look at what dad's making, we look at what mom's making, mm -hmm. and we say, okay, here's the difference. You pay this, you pay this, and then where are we? Um, which will just kind of mitigate what one parent's paying in support to the other because typically the parents aren't going to be the same wage earners. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, additionally, um, if I'm if I'm 
trying to negotiate a 50-50 and um, the mother's more hesitant, there's plenty of times where the dad will still pay the child support or pay a lesser amount mm -hmm. in order to get that time because it's really important to them. And the mm -hmm. mother's hesitation is that she might need that child support in order to help her even mm -hmm. though they're splitting time. Mm -hmm. So there's always room to compromise, I think, on child support. Um, you know, 50-50s are going to have to be by agreement of the parties still, so typically support's going to follow. You know, right. either you're going to be able to reach an agreement where one person's still paying or nobody's paying, which happens as well, um, or maybe one person's paying a lesser amount because mm -hmm. they are receiving equal time. I think you've mentioned several times mediation and the possibility of working things out between the parties, and this is something that's so important for people to know. You know, you don't have to clunk through the system and duke it out necessarily. I mean, that's not, uh, right. it's, it's almost, you know, it, it's the exception rather than the norm to actually try a case in family law, as you know. Definitely. So, and we have, uh, fortunately, many opportunities through the, through the process to go to mediation and, and sit down at the table. And that doesn't mean you're sitting across from one another, but uh, it, it does mean you have a chance to See if you can sort things out on your own with your lawyers at your side to, um, you know, come to a, a good resolution that works for you and your family. And uh, that's also something that a lot of times people don't understand. But, but you do need legal advice at the same time because, uh, you, you, like everything, you don't, you don't want to try this on your own, you know, when you have kids. Sure. Okay, so let's say the final order has been entered. In other words, you've finished the process. We've gone through the temporary order period, which is this, you know, sort of everyone get their, establish their, their, their boundaries, get to neutral, hopefully, uh, a, po a point of pause in the process before you, you know, start a mediation, or sometimes there's mediation in, on, mm -hmm. on temporary orders too. But, uh, You've gone through you've gone through the different uh, steps, which is the temporary orders, possibly discovery. You've come to a settlement. Now the court is ready to sign off on it. Uh, one point here that I think it's important to make, and I'm, I'm sure you've had this experience, but it's also important for uh, parties to understand that when they sign off on a when they sign their name on an order, and the court signs the order. That order is between the court and the parties. It's not just an agreement between the parties. So if it's violated, they're actually violating the court's direction and not what they might have even agreed to. So um, it's not about maybe getting back at your spouse and I'm not going to follow the order because you really have to speak to the court about that. So. With that as a foundation, so what happens afterwards when one party decides to simply not follow the orders? What is the other party's recourse, um, you know, for that situation? Yeah, Mom or dad doesn't show up for visitation, or you can probably give us a few examples of. Right, no, it's a great things. question, and I think a lot of people don't know what happens after mm -hmm. the final order signed. Mm -hmm. um, they kind of think everything's over, you know, and, and for the most part, litigation does cease at that time. But the order is always, you know, with the court, as you said. And so if a party's not following the order, if they're clearly in violation of the order, then the remedy for the non-violating party is to file what we call an enforcement. Mm -hmm. And they're asking the court to enforce their order in terms of 
whatever provisions the other party is violating. And some examples would be possession and access, rights and duties. You know, if one parent takes a child to a pediatrician and the <laughs> order says that the parties have to agree before changing the child's doctor, there was no agreement. Um, you know, mom goes and changes the child's doctor. Well, that would be, you know, potentially a violation of that order. Um, or, you know, maybe there could be travel provisions, taking the child internationally without notice, things like that. Um, depends mm -hmm. on what your order is, what specifically your provisions are, mm -hmm. but you could be in violation of any part of an order. It could be injunctive relief, possession and access, child support, mm -hmm. like if someone's not paying their child support or not paying it on time, that's a really frequent um, enforcement issue with the mm -hmm. courts. And that's a big no-no because the courts could say, go think about that in jail for a little while and see, and then come right. back. <laughs> yes, you could definitely be held in contempt for you know all kinds of different violations, but I would say mm -hmm. child support might be one of the most common. Okay, so if, just as a very practical matter, dad's supposed to show up to uh, pick up the kids at six o'clock on Thursday for dinner, and he just doesn't show up, or he's late, he's too late. Um, how long do you think someone should let that go on before they have a, a, a solid basis to go to court? Because anything can happen once, obviously, but if it's a chronic condition, I mean, under what circumstances are you willing to take a case to say, hey, judge, this is really an issue and it's affecting the children and obviously, um, you know, who you, you can't leave if you've made other plans, too. And that might be for you know a, a weekend or a visitation period or sometimes during the week. I mean, how do you manage that? Well, whenever I consult with a client that's looking to do um, an enforcement, I make sure first that the provisions that they're wanting to enforce are enforceable. For mm -hmm. example, you said if dad doesn't show up for visitation, well, that might not be an enforceable provision because there's no order that he has to show up. There's an order that mom has to release maybe at 6 p.m. on Sunday or on Friday, excuse me. Um, now, if there's maybe a notice provision where if he's not going to exercise, he needs to give her 24 hours advance notice and he doesn't, mm -hmm. then that could be the violation versus mm -hmm. not showing up. So I always make sure first that what they're believing are violations are actual violations according to their order because everyone's mm -hmm. order is a little bit different. And then mm -hmm. I also make sure it's not just one or two things because like you said, things happen um, and sometimes there also might be a reason that it happened and they're ignoring that and just wanting to hold mm -hmm. them accountable. Um, and I also know, you know, our courts are really congested, the dockets are busy. I don't want to go mm -hmm. in there for one or two things that the judge might mm -hmm. not see, although it is a violation, as something that's kind of worthy of the court's time. I want to make sure this is a pattern of behavior. And if it is a pattern of behavior um, and it is impacting the child, whether it's not showing up or you know changing doctors or things that are having an impact, you might also look at that time at modifying the order because if this is something this party is continuing to do, although you have remedies through an enforcement, it doesn't mean that the behavior is always going to change. That's right. I think that's a very good point because even though you have the opportunity to spend time with your child, you can't force someone to do that if they if if the interest is not there, and that's right. That's another question that comes up frequently. I think, well, you know, what's the penalty? Well, you have <laughs> you lose time with your child. That's right. That's that's the sad part. That's what they lose. It is because I think usually the child's the loser, and and sometimes oh, sure. I don't even think parents are fully mm -hmm. aware of the impact that the, mm -hmm. it has on the child. 
Okay, Amanda, is there anything else you'd like to offer as insight into the system with respect to custody or some tips or some um, anything you'd like to uh, share with us that might make the process a little smoother for anyone that's you know facing this situation, whether they're preparing for divorce or uh, you know they're already you know in the process of trying to determine who will be the the parent with you know possibly the most time. Sure. Well, I like I like it when my clients have done their research. You know, they don't just go to the first attorney, hear everything, and go, "Okay, I want to get a divorce." I want people mm -hmm. to really know that this is what they want. Um, you know, it's not just sour grapes or anger, that this is really what they think is beneficial for their family. They're mm -hmm. ready to start that journey because it is often going to be, you know, anywhere from a year plus to go through a divorce process. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's great when parties start preparing their children depending on their age for the divorce process, whether mm -hmm. that maybe means getting into therapy or just being really counter um, productive about how this is going to impact them, which it will, whether it's a separation or a divorce or even modifications, because you know once you've been divorced, it doesn't mean when you go back to modify, the child doesn't kind of go through that whole process a little bit all over again. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think just preparing for the process and maybe getting advice about how to prepare, then doing the proper preparations, and then starting the divorce can really benefit a family more than just jumping in, not really knowing mm -hmm. what you're getting into, which nobody really does, and then later determining that you know there could have been things that might have been done better or mm -hmm. could have been avoided. Mm -hmm. um, I also let my clients know that there's, it's going to be probably the worst, most emotional maybe angry time for everybody. It's not, mm -hmm. even even an amicable divorce is sad. So I think it's good for parties to take care of themselves in the process, make sure they're getting therapy if they need it or have a good support system and just really get everything, kind of their ducks in a row before they jump in because mm -hmm. it's a lengthy process even when you get along, it can be lengthy as you go through property mm -hmm. division and figuring out the best arrangements for kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I find that everybody's going to have some kind of emotional impact from it. And so I just really like it when people take the time to prepare. All right. Great advice. Thanks. Well, thanks for asking me the great questions. Wonderful that you're here, Amanda. Thank you so much. That's all for now. I'm your host, Cindy Hyde, and I appreciate you being here today for our talk with Amanda Tucker. Uh, about custody and child issues in divorce. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Love, Money, and the Law. Be sure to subscribe to receive a note about the next topic. When you subscribe, it helps support this effort to bring you independent insights into topics that matter in your family and beyond.